Just drink, I like it. I know, it's great, right? Another! <coughs> What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of Film on Tap, the show where we've got the tap that never runs out. And today, me and my co-hosts, Andres and Nancy, we are joined by a very special guest. We've got Maxwell Haddad in the building, who a lot of people will know from the First Class League, where he's been dominating this season, where he made a stellar first impression. We are happy to have him. How are you today, sir? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Thank you for coming on. Like I said, it is a pleasure. And Andres and Nancy, how are you doing today? Nancy, we'll start with you. How are you? How are you doing? I'm doing good. As you can see, it's sweater weather, which I love. So absolutely. And Loving of that. Course, I'm on location at my parents' house. Ah, if we, if we weren't able to tell. Bar <laughs> Marley is the key to this, guys. Oh, 100 percent. I like having him watch over us today. I don't know. Feels comforting. <laughs> Andres, how you doing today, man? Oh, I'm doing much better. Doing much better. Uh, spent the entire Thanksgiving weekend recovering from having gotten both the uh, COVID vaccine booster shot and also nice. getting the flu uh, vaccine shot as well, too. So it's just been a rowdy couple of hours and managed to squeeze in three movies in theaters as well, too. So do you know where you are right now? <laughs> Wait. Wait, what, what What? are all you people doing in my room right now? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad that you're good enough to do the show for us today. And today we got some fun things to talk about. Uh, we got a couple of big trailers to talk about. And the first trailer we're going to hit up today is going to be, you know, a trailer for a small independent film. You know, it's made by this, you know, uh, small independent company, Marvel Studios. You know, it's got a very small limited release in a few weeks here in the United States. It's called like Spider-Man for uh, No Way Home from what I'm told. I'm, and I'm told it's got a lot of views. You were about to say far from home Shut as well, too. Yep. I was so I was really we, hoping we you wouldn't catch that. that. Yep. Yeah, you always I, catch I, that. I posted a ranking on my Spider-Man movies yesterday and someone was like, wait, you've already seen Far From Home? I'm like, yeah, when it came out three years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I don't know. I think it's just because all the titles have home in it. It just makes yes. it so much more confusing. It's just like if someone says far I'm, from home, I'm, I'm like, yeah, it's I'm coming just out. I'm kind of upset weeks. this one isn't a Christmas one because it's coming out at Christmas like Spider-Man. Home Alone or Spider-Man, I'll be home for Christmas. Be like, oh, I know. I I, I'd, I'd pay good money to see Spider-Man. I'd be home for Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> I'd pay well, good well, money to see that. Well, well, who knows? We haven't we haven't seen much of this movie either. And um, judging from the last trailer that we all covered, um, there is some Halloween stuff in the background. So maybe it could span a couple couple a uh, couple of months. Maybe who knows? Maybe there's the hope. Maybe. Uh, I'm just curious to see what we all thought of this trailer. I mean, this was highly anticipated. Fans were like demanding it. I mean, the fandom around this movie, in my opinion, has just kind of been like ridiculous at this point. Um, yeah. But we finally got a brand new trailer. So we'll start with Maxwell. What did you think of this trailer? Are you hyped for this movie or are you just kind of like, I just want to see it. So this like hype dies down. Listen, my, my general approach to any movie is to try and temper my expectations because I don't like to get disappointed. But this is a pretty exciting trailer. Um, you know, in the wake of Into the Spider-Verse, the notion of a multi-dimensional Spider-Man story is not new, but to see it in live action is exciting. I love seeing Alfred Molina back. I love mm -hmm. the little vocal hints of Willem Dafoe we get. We're getting Sandman and Electro back from all the different Spidey universes since uh, the Sam Raimi movie back in 2002. Um, I think there's some shenanigans going on with some of the footage in this trailer. I think some stuff has been edited out, but it looks really fun. Um, I my, my fear is that it's going to be too much and that it's not going to balance well. 
but my like inner nerd is like let's go let's let's get all the spideys <laughs> on the screen together let's get all these villains right um let's have a blast and i've enjoyed to different degrees both of the tom holland spider-man movies so far so i'm i'm definitely in the bag for this awesome nancy where do you fall on this one same i'm super excited someone had tweeted out uh once the trailer dropped something like can we all agree that everyone thinks you know spider-man 2 is the best spider-man because they're bringing back you know william defoe uh doc Mm -hmm. ock all the the and i really love that movie alfred molina uh he's so amazing and uh he's such a sweet person too that i love to see him in just anything that he's in Mm -hmm. um but yeah i'm super excited about it at this point too i don't even think i would be disappointed if andrew garfield and toby mcguire didn't show up honestly um i mean i'm i really think they will but i Mm -hmm. it's the trailer is so good i'm not even gonna be disappointed if they're not in it Awesome. I mean, Andres, I tell you, I could always read your reaction, as, especially when someone else is talking. You're like, let me go. Let me go. <laughs> what, what, what did you think of this one, man? What I thought of this trailer, I thought it was good. I thought it was really good. It, it did a great job of setting up what... <laughs> that, was oh, perfect, that was the perfect time to breathe oh my god i couldn't have like scripted that better myself i'm leaving that in absolutely leave yes. that in that you was perfect we're keeping that we're absolutely you, keeping you that. freezing like, on that was everything i could have possibly wanted i thought it was like for dramatic effect because everyone else was fine <laughs> The oh Sony lawyers got at me and they're like, I'm yeah, they're just like, he's going to say something. <laughs> <laughs> also, so, we're just going to see this red dot on your forehead. <laughs> oh, goodness. Oh my but, God. All right. So to temper all that back, mm-hmm. I will say I like the trailer. Okay. I like the trailer. It's cool. Um, I, I follow the sentiments of what uh, Maxwell and Nancy have said so far. It's great to see Alfred Molina back in the fold with this. Um yeah, and just the just the the possibilities that this movie throws at you with just what mm-hmm. kind of movie it could possibly be, and then just also knowing what the finale of Venom, Let There Be Carnage as well, too, also plays into the excitement for this as well. Right. So not necessarily saying that I'm hoping Venom shows up at the very end, but it's one of those things where it's like there's a whole realm of possibilities that we've never before seen in the live action MCU or even comic book film by that matter. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's just really exciting. And like Nancy said uh, before, I wouldn't be necessarily disappointed if uh, Toby and Andrew didn't show up, but it, here's the thing. Everybody just wants to see them show up back up again, only because of the nostalgia. Whereas for me, I would only want to see them show up if there's a point to it or if there's actually like a great punctuation for Tom Holland, Spider-Man, if it moves his character forward and, you know, and the other thing too is the nostalgia factor that also plays in. I just want, I just want to hear in a Tom Holland MCU movie. I just want to hear someone utter the words with great power comes great responsibility. (laughs) And I want Tobey Maguire to tell him that. I I want it all to come full circle because bring it back. uh, that yeah, would be amazing, but it's just also great to see Doc Ock and everybody else come into the come into the fold. And I don't know the, the my favorite part of the trailer has to be when um when when they got Doc Ock all locked up in the uh, the inner sanctum um, over at uh, Doctor Strange's place, and then right. they're just like, "What's your name, 
daughter, Dr. Otto Octavius. And it's like, oh, yeah, you know what? You never really like think about how ridiculous that name is. Really. Yep. <laughs> and I gotta say, I, I am happy about how he looks because on the first one when he appeared, he looked oh. kind of like weirdly CGI'd and like yeah. his hair looked kind of funky. Uh, so I was happy once they showed him. I was like, okay, he looks like he's supposed to look. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. Like, they had a little more time to work on the VFX, and it looked a lot better. However, I will say, can I just rant about one thing real quick? I mean, I guess. Okay. Here it is. <laughs> right, here it is, guys. Um, I'm really excited for this movie and stuff like that. But right. the one thing that I absolutely hate about the MCU's version of Spider-Man is that they're treating him like basically a freaking Iron Man Jr. And Tony Stark has to come into play in some way, shape or form where it's like, oh, the reason why everyone the reason why the villain is pissed off at Spider-Man is because Tony Stark messed him over in in the in the previous in, in something previously, like years ago or something like that. I want a fucking Spider-Man movie where Tony Stark isn't even mentioned, not even once. Just let right. Peter Parker be his own thing. And I'm starting to get a little hints of that Tony Stark will play into some part in this movie. Because uh, if you look at Electro's little um, little belt buckle on the very top, there's an arc reactor right there. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh, Christ, please. Yeah, well, well, don't let it be that someone's pissed off at Tony again. I mean, I'm like, I'm in the same boat in that, like, I really don't want it to keep leaning on the whole Iron Man thing. It's like, it basically feels like Spider-Man is a cleaning up Tony Stark's mess at this point where it's just like, why are, why are we doing this? Like focus on Spider-Man. We don't need another like mentor figure, another figure that's like acting like a parent to him. It's like, let Spider-Man be Spider-Man. Like it's kind of getting a little bit annoying with that. I mean... As like a nerd, I loved everything I saw in the trailer, just seeing all these villains come back, Doc Ock, Green Goblin, even seeing like Electro look a hell of a lot better, seeing, you know, uh, I think Sandman, there was like the lizard, I think I saw a little bit briefly. (laughs) Like it was just, it's great to see all these villains in a trailer again. I was really pumped about that. Just my fear is that it's going to be like too much. Like it's just going to be like too much crammed into one movie where it's going to have like that like sequel-itis where you're trying to do way too much. And, you know, try to cram in too many villains, too many characters. And I just I want Spider-Man to still like stand out. I don't want him to be overshadowed by everything else in the movie. And I'm in the same boat as Nancy, too, when it comes to, you know, Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire showing up. If they didn't show up, I would take so much joy in it because everyone was like, oh, yeah, they'll be there. They'll be there. And then they just don't show up. If, like, I just if they be the don't group. show up, I'm going to find a disaster bunker to hide in for a week because people are literally going to riot. Yeah, like I, I don't even want to imagine what that people would be like. like. Like we're going to just we have yet to see the full depths of what toxicity can go rampant in fandom if they don't show up in this movie. Oh it's going to be God. bad. I, it's going to be worse than Last Jedi, I think. See, I oh, love yeah. Tom. What you said is that you almost want it to be where it's like Tom Holland just looks in a mirror and it's actually Tobey Maguire. Yeah, or, yeah. Because you know, I, like, yeah. I think that would be cool. Yeah, because Maxwell, I was talking to uh, Andres and Nancy about this in a previous episode, how there was like this theory that um, like someone pointed out that in like one of the images he was wearing like a suit that like looked like Tobey Maguire's suit, like like just like a nice dress suit from like Spider-Man 3. And someone was saying that maybe the way they incorporate Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire is that to like all the other villains you know he looks 
you know, like those guys, but he's not really those guys. Like he looks in a mirror and then he sees Andrew Garfield or he looks in a mirror and he sees Tobey Maguire, but he's still Tom Holland, if that makes sense. I even though I like quantum leaping. Yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm fairly certain that that Toby and Andrew have sizable roles in this movie. Yeah, but that would that would be that things. would be that would be poignant too. Um, I just to to Andres's point, um, I don't disagree that one of the the flaws of the the Holland Spider Man movie so far is they've almost gone out of their way to not let him be the lead of his own movies. Yeah, to, to play devil's advocate, and this is that thing where art and commerce come up to each other. Part of the deal Sony made with MCU is that another MCU character had to feature prominently in each movie. Um, and they've almost fashioned Tony now to be the uncle Ben of this spider universe. Right. If you look at how he plays into far from home and with his death and et cetera, but, um, you know, I agree. I don't want the villain's motivation in this to be Tony related. If they have Tony Stark tech, that's fine. Cause Tony was the godfather of the MCU and his mm-hmm. tech has, has been used throughout all of them. So it's just a little hint of his tech. If, if Jamie Foxx just has an arc reactor to power his electro suit, fine. Yeah. But if if all of this mm-hmm. shenaniganry, if if Doc Ock and and Green Goblin and all <laughs> these people are, are 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 going after Peter Parker because of Tony Stark, I'm going to be like, oh my god, again. Mm-hmm. I don't think they will though, because I don't either. That, but yeah, because the fact that Doc Ock is like, wait, you're not Peter, um, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. would suggest that he's not going after him because of something Tony Stark. Yeah, yeah. The, the trailer definitely like disproved that theory. I just like when I heard that theory, I was like, oh, that sounds like a really cool way to like have them show up while not really showing up. I know, like, yeah. I yeah, like that pl- a lot. Pl- plus also with kind of stripping away the Tony Starkness from Spider-Man as well. I actually mm-hmm. do love the fact that um, if you look at one of the shots in the trailers, um, there's a shot where Alpha Molina's um, tentacle is getting the nano, the nanobots from a Spider-Man suit. And I'm like, yeah, get rid of that nano suit. Give him his freaking suit back, guys. I, I like when they started introducing nanotechnology into the MCU, I was just kind of like, that's just going to be an easy solution to everything now. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I, 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 I just want Spider-Man to get back to basics. I Spider-Man yeah. to me is your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man friendly neighborhood does not mean all this fancy high tech and care and talking in your head. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I wanted to get back to like, I mean, I still think in my opinion, like I, out of the Tom Holland movies, like I still think, um, homecoming is the best one like it was the one that felt like the most ground level it felt like more like a spider-man movie sure you had the whole tony stark dynamic but it still felt like a spider-man movie it's like then you put him in the avengers movies and you make everything like crazy like far from home kind of took it to like this nth degree which is still an enjoyable movie but also it just kind of felt like didn't really feel like that like close-knit spider-man movie i wanted it to feel like that like ground level so i want to get back to that because i just see a lot of cg in in this trailer just like a lot of cg and it'd be great to see some more practical stuff and like with green goblin like he looks so cg now and you know doc ock looks extremely cg so it's just kind of like i i did enjoy the more tactile nature of like the raimi trilogy where it felt like even though there was cgi in those movies obviously there was a lot more like practical stuff that made the action way more immersive because it felt like it was actually happening and not being done in a computer so i mean i don't know do you guys feel that way about like the new spider-man movies a little bit too cgi or are you okay with it at this point i don't know i mean doc ock you know, we've all seen the behind the scene videos with him and his arms and him dancing around mm-hmm. with right. yeah, yeah. the animatronic yeah. arms. So I think 
I love that. I love incorporating animatronics with CGI. I think it makes it look right. way better. Um, and yeah, definitely in this trailer, it's a, it's a lot of CGI. <laughs> um, mm. yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I would like them to go back to that just a little <clears throat> bit. But I don't think it'll hurt the movie at all. I'm hoping, you know, when they have those closer shots, maybe they'll incorporate some of that or they have mm. incorporated some of that. Yeah, I mean, keeping in mind that I, I it, it's the rare MCU movie I don't like. I do think, and this is probably indicative of where blockbuster filmmaking is at in general, there is an over-reliance on CGI across the board. People are like, how are the budgets so high? I'm like, well, they, they shoot these movies in a giant green room and create everything, which even with the best CGI money can buy has a level of artificiality that can take you out of it. I do miss the days of a blend of practical effects and CGI. Like people are like, well, what's the best CGI ever? I still go back to Jurassic Park because it was giant puppets blended with CG. The mm-hmm. Spider-Man movies, like Nancy was saying, like they built a rig for Alfred Molina to wear so his arms were tactile and then they enhance it with CGI. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and you know, at the end of the day, if the storytelling is good and I like the characters, too much CGI or even weak CGI is not going to ruin a movie for me. But I do yearn for the days where there was more practical stuff, which is why I do like, you know, when Chris Nolan actually explodes a plane yeah. or, <laughs> you know, some of the, you know, behind the scenes footage I saw from Dune where Denis Villeneuve was bringing in elements of practical stuff. Yeah. Um, and look, for what it's worth, John Watts is not the, the quality of filmmaker that Sam Raimi is, right? Like, I love mm-hmm. Homecoming, but this, you know, Sam Raimi's a, and this word gets thrown around a lot. He's a, a visionary. You know, we're talking about the guy who made Evil Dead and, and mm-hmm. you know, you know, is a is a stalwart of of cinema of the last 30 years. Tom Tom Watts made one indie movie with Kevin Bacon and then was handed the keys to Spider-Man. So it's just a, it's just the way that the the studio system and the MC works these days. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I sound really cynical. I like these movies, guys. I do. No, no, no you want to have an opinion. <laughs> no, no, like, no, I, didn't, I didn't think that was nasty or anything. But like, yeah, like no, you when you think about it. They take a lot of indie directors now and they just give them Marvel movies. And for the most part, it's worked out. But then sometimes it really shows when they pick an indie director like with John Watts, a guy who's never done like blockbuster filmmaking. He makes a movie about, you know, with Kevin Bacon in a cop car. And they're like, that's our Spider-Man director. So it's just kind of like you saw it in the first movie. You saw it in Far From Home where you kind of felt he was a little bit out of his depth when it came to like the action sequences because they don't feel as like creative and you know uh like immersive so and then you have sam raimi who's you know dabbled in that in that arena like multiple times with you know the evil dead the spider-man movies and he kind of just made those action sequences feel way more visceral i think that's why i enjoy that original trilogy all the more but i'm glad you brought up uh, Jurassic Park because I totally agree that I feel like that marriage between puppetry and CGI like really made those dinosaurs feel real and that world feel real. And speaking of Jurassic Park, they actually just released a uh, prologue um, for the new movie Jurassic World Dominion, which I think played before something this past summer and then they're just releasing it now. I think Andres, you told me they did that, right? Yeah, I went to go see a um, IMAX uh, screening of um, F9 uh, during the summer and because it was a universal movie, they advertised that you could see the first 10 minutes of Jurassic World Dominion in front of F9. And that was a big event when it came out. Mm-hmm. And um, one of my friends in particular, uh, my buddy Zane, who's a massive Jurassic Park fan, like I got him the Nedry, uh, the cooling um, thingy as a little piggy bank oh, that's for, awesome. for Christmas. And so um, so he was so gung ho to see that first 10 minutes that he's like, 
honestly, Andres, I'm coming with you, Blake, and everybody else just to see those first 10 minutes, and I'm gone. (laughs) (laughs) So he literally paid full price just to see those opening minutes. And yeah. He didn't watch the movie? No, he's not a fast. He's well, not I mean, fast I mean, in, in his defense, he didn't really miss a great movie. So, <laughs> let's be honest. But, yeah, uh, but, but they showed it in front of that, and gotcha. that was sort of one of the big marketing sell points for uh, for Universal to get people to come back to the theaters. Because remember, mm-hmm. at that point, it was still it was still um, May, I believe, and theaters had still not gotten back in the full swing of like getting people back in theaters. So it was still just kind of a really weird time to release that. And yeah, I mean, it, it just kind of surprised me that it took this long for it to get released. Like that was back in May and this is now um, November. November. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Nancy was like, come on, you can do it. <laughs> but uh, I'm just curious, what'd you guys think of this? Cause I went into this with like very like, middle of the road expectations because like the Jurassic World movies they're fun to me but like they're not anything to write home about like they pale in comparison obviously to the original movie and even the sequel Lost World but I'm just curious did you guys like dig this prologue did it like maybe Uh give you more echoes of the original couple movies like how do you feel Maxwell we'll start with you on this one I am appearing frozen to myself. Am I frozen to you guys? Yeah, we can hear <laughs> yeah, you. But it's a great still to freeze on. <laughs> <laughs> I'll talk and you just won't see my beautiful face. It's fine. Um, <laughs> I, listen, it, it really is as simple as this. I love dinosaurs. And this footage had a lot, a lot of dinosaurs. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I've enjoyed both Jurassic World movies. It's, uh, you know, um, I think other than the original Jurassic Park, they are, they are uh, my favorites because I think Lost World is fairly bad and Jurassic Park 3 is fine but it's real short and kind of you know mm-hmm. irrelevant um and and the way uh Fallen Kingdom ended was was really exciting and opens up a world of possibility so even more so than like the prologue where we see the the mosquito you know sucking the blood from the dinosaur which we can assume and I have I have a prop and you can't see me I have a, a <laughs> replica of the mosquito in the amber that I'm holding so just visualize that and it's really cool um even more than that what was thrilling to me about this was when it you know went 65 million years into the future and like they're at the drive-through and the shot of the t-rex with like the projector behind it was super Mm -hmm. cool so Mm -hmm. if this if dominion has all of this sort of of stuff with the dinosaurs running rampant in the real world which is certainly what fallen kingdom set up then i'm pretty excited for what this could possibly be Awesome. Andres, what did you think about this bad boy? Yeah, I I thought it was really great. And I thought it was interesting as well, too. It wasn't necessarily like it wasn't necessarily like the typical opening that you would think a Jurassic Park movie would open up with where it's like, okay, it's like it's a little bit of chaos, but it's not necessarily doesn't necessarily start in our present day, which I really appreciated and seeing Mm -hmm. the different types of of dinosaurs how they would how they would theoretically look like 60 65 million years ago where i love that line in um jurassic world where uh henry rue is basically just going like you think all those dinosaurs out there would look that way no th- this is all fake this is all exactly mm-hmm. what we want you to see so it was kind of nice to see the t-rex with the feathers and the t-rex with the fur and all the other dinosaurs and all the different more realistic designs and that was just sort of like a good like what if um scenario mm-hmm. like i'm pretty sure if spielberg had this information way back when back in the 90s he would have tried to make something similar to this but 
it, it was a really it was really cool like what if and then also it was just a really great way to hell of a way to open up a movie too so mm-hmm. i'm i'm just really excited to see where this is going and i mean i will agree with um maxwell that uh jurassic park is definitely my favorite and um uh, lost world it was probably one of the first moments i realized as a kid that i could be disappointed in a movie because i was just <laughs> so hyped for that and i just walked out of that being like what was that it was so boring i don't even mm-hmm. want to own it like like i remember thinking about that about a jurassic park movie and i and i remember the big debate was jurassic park or lost world or jurassic park 3 and jurassic park 3 just always won by a landslide mm-hmm. so yeah but but this movie looks to be getting back to the grittiness of Jurassic World again. Yeah, awesome. All right, Nancy, where do you fall on this one? Ooh, sorry, guys. I didn't like it. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. I, I know it was the first time of hardcore pivoting the other way. Uh, no, I I didn't like, honestly, Lost World, I didn't like at all. I was very bored during it. It was cool mm-hmm. seeing the dinosaurs, but as a story, it was just kind of like, okay, this just feels like Jurassic Park over again. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second one, I only saw, literally I turned it on TV and the only part I saw was when they killed off the bronchiosaurus. And I was like, fuck you guys, <laughs> how dare you? <laughs> and then I didn't watch the rest of the movie. So I can't say if I like that or not. Um, but in terms of the prologue, I think, uh, for me, it just looked like it was something that should be on animal planet. Like it didn't feel Jurassic parky and i understand right. why obviously because we're they're taking us back to you know when dinosaurs were roaming the earth um when it actually cut to present day that's when i started getting invested um in terms of the movie itself so it's not deterring me from seeing the movie or thinking the movie is bad it's just how it looked uh didn't really reel me in i guess you could say Okay. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm probably more in the same boat as Andres and Maxwell, where like it kind of felt more like classic Jurassic Park to me, where like it really felt like it was trying to kind of give you those nostalgic feels, you know, seeing the dinosaurs back in their day was really cool. And then having it transition to the present was super cool. And that shot of the, you know, the T-Rex, you know, projected against the screen was incredible. I was like, that reminded me of that moment in the original like where you have like that like banner kind of like falling as the t-rex roars like it kind of had that like similar feel so it kind of gave me chills and i was like oh that's what i want i was like if the rest of the movie is going to be kind of like this i'm like i am on board but you know obviously we have no idea how this one's going to end up but i did like the old school vibes it was giving me i thought that um the dinosaurs looked fantastic i felt like they looked better in this prologue than they had in the two jurassic world movies for sure like they looked more realistic they looked more detailed like it looks like the technology has definitely come a long way where it almost can get to that quality of like those original movies a little bit yeah obviously you can't you know get to like the point where it looks like that nice marriage of puppetry and cgi like that original movie had but it's pretty damn close i don't know about you guys and and the baffling thing about that going on to your point is that jurassic world was only maybe six years ago Mm -hmm. and it's such a drastic improvement yeah and i mean it's not necessarily to say that Jurassic world had bad cg or anything like that but it's like it's the times are, are going so fast with the tech and it just makes me more excited to see where where the story is going to go and mm-hmm. and just also real quick um i'm not sure if you guys have seen uh the jurassic world short called uh battle at big rock i think i did yeah is that is, yeah that was like the short film that they made or 
Yeah, it was it was a short film that they had made a little while back when um, I think it was right after that they announced that Jurassic World uh, Dominion was going to be delayed even further because Colin Trevorrow and Spielberg were still kind of figuring out uh, the script and they hadn't fully cracked it yet. But what they mm-hmm. did was they were like, here's something that we made as a proof of concept for 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 just everybody at this point. And here's something to sort of um, uh, what your appetite for Jurassic Park in the meantime. And I thought it was great. And it's it's very similar to this in the sense that it picks up literally, I think, about a couple of days after the events of Fallen Kingdom. And it's just what happens if freaking dinosaurs showed up at your campsite while you were camping yeah yeah because i remember i really dug that because i thought it was like oh cool we're kind of like getting a little bit more you know old school a little bit more like ground level where it feels a little bit more self-contained which i really liked i mean i just i want them to head in that direction where it kind of feels more like that original movie because i just feel like the new ones like like i do enjoy them they're fun and like i think they have their place and they certainly have entertainment value but like when you watch the original movie it's like it just doesn't compare like at all so if they can maybe get that magic back i'm hoping you know i'm hoping for the best you know i'm cautiously optimistic especially after watching this prologue but in terms of sequels you know speaking of sequels uh we need to talk about a movie that came out recently that has been getting rave reviews rave reactions we've all seen it it's time to talk about it let's talk about ghostbusters Afterlife, the new Ghostbusters movie from uh, director Jason Reitman, son of Ivan Reitman, who directed the original two movies. What did we think of Ghostbusters Afterlife? There may be some sweet, there might be some sweet spoilers. There, there might <laughs> some safe spoilers. There we go. It's like there might be some sweet spoilers in this one. There might be some slight spoilers uh, as we talk about it. So if you haven't seen the movie, uh, I would maybe just steer clear of this for now. And then once you have seen the movie, come back because there probably will be some spoilers in this little discussion here. But let's start with Nancy. What did you think of Ghostbusters Afterlife? Oh, I loved it so much. Uh, I think the story was great. And, you know, uh, I'm going to just go straight into spoilers, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, It did what I wanted it to do. And that was be a nod and a love love letter to uh, Harold Ramis. I wait, Harold, yeah, did I say that right? Yeah, yes, okay. I got it. For some reason, it sounded wrong in, in when I said it, but I was like, wait, no. <laughs> uh, and I, I, I really, really wanted it to be that because anytime, you know, Bill Murray or um, Dan Aykroyd talk about Harold Ramis, you can very much see that that was a very, very good friend of theirs that was also, you know, their collaborator that they miss very dearly. And um, I think. Jason Reitman did such a good job of balancing bringing in new characters and then also having that nostalgia come back more so towards the end. Um, and I loved it so much. Uh, and again, hardcore spoiler, when they actually show Egon, I was almost in tears because I loved it so much. Mm-hmm. And seeing Dan Aykroyd say those lines about him and you know saying how he misses <laughs> his friends, it just felt so real. And so genuine, it was just, you know, it was heartbreaking and also so touching at the same time. And I I just loved it so much. And Egon was my favorite Ghostbuster. I always related to the the geeky, nerdy ones, Mm -hmm. you know, and Ninja Turtles, Donatello was always my favorite one. (laughs) Egon was always my favorite Ghostbuster because he was always coming up with all the cool stuff. And, you know, he was the brains behind the operation. Mm -hmm. Um, So to see him come back was just, it, it just meant so much to me. And then again, to have all these new characters come in that were so uh, very strong 
uh, characters. I just loved it so much. Awesome. Awesome. Andres, how about you? What did you think of the movie? Well, as the resident ghost, um, <laughs> I have a problem with the Ghostbusters because they're trying to bust ghosts. And what did we do wrong? We're just we're just hanging. I mean, mm. freaking just chilling. Yeah, we're just chilling. Slimer was just eating a meal. He was just getting a free meal, guys. So that's that's so honestly, I didn't like this movie. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but here's the thing. Ghostbusters has always been kind of just a controversial dish for me because Mm-hmm. For me, so many people, so many people that I've talked to, they consider it to be like one of the greatest comedies of all time. And I personally don't consider it to be a comedy. I consider it to be more of a, a supernatural film, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. It, and it uses some of the tenets of, of comedy in there because, you know, you have Bill Murray in there. You have, um, uh, you know, you have Dan Aykroyd, Ernie Hudson, Harold Ramis, and directed by Ivan Reitman as well, too. It's it's so embedded in the DNA, but it's not trying to be a comedy. Mm-hmm. But you just can't help but laugh at certain points. But anyway, so that was kind of one of the big things that I went into this, just going like, well, Jason Reitman, anything he's done previously to before this film doesn't necessarily equate to a first pick for a Ghostbusters movie. If you if 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 you make the leap away from the fact that he's Ivan Reitman's son, he's not necessarily the first go to that you would think automatically for a Ghostbusters sequel. But he absolutely knocked out of the park, I thought. And I really, really, really dug this movie for basically just trying something a little different and trying something. While it was different, it was leaning into some of the nostalgia elements, but not in a way where I kind of felt that. I mean, talking about a bad movie, I mean, kind of the way that Resident Evil kind of leaned in on nostalgia for the fans Mm -hmm. and it kind of felt shoehorned in at certain points in that film, whereas with this I know, I know people have been criticizing it for leaning in on the nostalgia, but the thing is, is that it is a sequel to almost a 30 year old movie. It is in continuity. It's the Easter eggs are just Easter eggs to us because we've seen it already. Whereas some of these items do fit in the universe. I mean, like, you know, the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man and all this other stuff and all this other all those other things are coming about in the Walmart and all this other stuff. I mean, like that I mean mm-hmm. to a certain extent that all fits because they're still dealing with the same, uh, the same type of entities that they've been dealing with for over 30 years. So for me, I didn't necessarily see it as a flaw to lean in on the nostalgia at certain points. And yeah, no. And, and what it's called, I mean, I, I just think Jason Reitman knocked out of the park, including with his cast and everybody that he got on board because Probably the big thing that I was concerned about was the film, the Finn Wolfhard aspect of it, where it's like, okay, we're getting all these younger people to come in. And Mm -hmm. of course they got the guy who's kind of hot right now with freaking stranger things, it, and all this other stuff. And I'm like, oh man, are they going to kind of lean into that kind of mode? And they gave us something even different. So Jason Ryman, I, I couldn't, I couldn't give him any more praise for this. In fact, um, real quick story. I was over in film school over in Chicago and back in 2009, Jason Reitman had come over to our school to promote um, uh, up in the air and basically kind of get people, you know, a little, just be Mm -hmm. aware that this is an indie movie that he made. It's his passion project and all this other stuff. And then someone over at the Q and a had asked him, 
you know, um, have you ever thought about directing a third Ghostbusters movie? This is back when there was mm-hmm. no movement on Ghostbusters. And I will never forget the 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 answer that he gave right then and there. He's like, guys, I would make the most boring Ghostbusters movie. I mean, like my movies are about a guy. My movies are about a guy that promotes smoking, a pregnant teenager and a guy who fires people for a living. Does that spell Ghostbusters? I was talking to my older brother about that. This was years ago and we were rewatching the Ghostbusters movies. And I said, you know, if these movies came out today, a lot of the younger people would probably think they were boring because it's not a lot of like flash. It's very slow build to things. Um, But I appreciate those kind of movies. And I feel like this movie did a good job of not making it a kid's movie, which was my biggest problem with the 2016 movie which was fine. That was definitely like meant for kids, um, but it wasn't definitely, it felt like it wasn't meant for the true Ghostbusters fans in the sense of like, these movies weren't kids movies when they came out. And I like that this new one kind of went back to that. There were definitely some moments in there. I was like, ah, okay. That was a little, that joke was a little like definitely meant for like younger kids. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, bringing that back where it's, okay, it's not a kid's movie anymore. We're going back to the true Ghostbusters feel of everything. I definitely mm-hmm. appreciated that. Awesome. Maxwell, what did you think of Ghostbusters? Well, first of all, I'm really glad Andres brought up what he did. Ari Ghostbusters being a comedy. This is something PJ, my friend PJ Campbell, I'm sure everyone knows who that is. Uh, and I've been talking about a lot leading up to this and some of the Uh, reactions to the trailers listen the first ghostbusters is a very funny movie you don't get you know harold ramus and and bill murray um and dan Aykroyd on screen together and not have laughs but Mm -hmm. it does play like a you know at times a supernatural horror movie like nancy said it does have a slow build and so the notion that this movie and the trailer was so radically different from the initial ghostbusters was kind Mm -hmm. of odd to me and i've even seen some people you know react to this new one and say well i just wish it was funny okay it does have funny stuff into it Mm -hmm. um i've always loved the original ghostbusters but i wasn't necessarily like a diehard like some people are it didn't have like a hugely emotional you know impact Mm -hmm. on my life it was just always a movie i really liked um so it's kind of shocking to me just how much i did end up loving ghostbusters afterlife um i even i went back and saw it a second time and liked it even more um and what i think is so smart about it is it balances two movies in one really beautifully right and i love how it plays out like a sort of like a slow burn mystery it has like heavy elements of like a classic 80s amblin movie you got kids on on bicycles going around a small town mm-hmm. trying to figure out what's going on with something supernatural then you have paul rudd is like the scrappy funny teacher um who gets involved and it as it sl- starts to unfold then you start bringing back elements from from the classic film and everything starts coming into place and then it all sort of you know climaxes with frankly, a hugely emotional final act that definitely had me shedding Mm -hmm. a few tears. Um, And this to me was nostalgia done right. This to me was nostalgia that's earned for so many reasons, partly because you did have the original cast coming back hugely because as we all said, the director of this is the son of the original director. So it's a literal passing of the baton. I don't think you could have asked for a better scenario to make a legacy sequel that also serves as Ghostbusters 3 that pays respect and homage to what came before while charting a new course and just a massive, massive love letter to Harold Ramis. Like 
one could argue that Egon is basically the main character in this movie, even though he doesn't really appear. And to me, the success of this movie rests on the very tiny shoulders of McKenna Grace. This young actress yes. is incredible. I've seen her in a lot of stuff. You know, she's young Captain Marvel. She's she's done, you know, she's in Malignant and she's done a bunch of stuff. But this, I think, is her first major lead role and she kills it. Uh, not only does she like have like those egony mannerisms down, she has pun intended. She has a lot of grace. She has strength and bravado. She's an incredible <laughs> young actress. And I think she's the perfect new Ghostbusters for 2021. Um, I loved podcasts. I thought that little kid was a riot. Just like this hit every beat I want in this type of movie. Um, and I feel like it's something I'm going to revisit quite a bit going down the line. Yeah. I mean, I'm so glad you guys all liked it too. Cause I like, cause like Maxwell, like I wasn't a giant Ghostbusters fan growing up. Like I had seen the original movies. I enjoyed them, but like it was, it, they were never movies I had any sort of emotional attachment to. So like, you know, I wasn't in uproar over the 2016 Ghostbusters. You know, I wasn't like counting down the seconds to this new one. Like I went in with such low expectations. I was like, I just want to be entertained. You know, that's basically what I want to be at the end of the day. And I was shocked by how good it is. I mean, going off of what Maxwell said, it really is nostalgia done right where it feels earned. It feels like it's the right time to tell this story. It's being told by the right person. I mean, even from the opening scene of the movie, I was like, this feels like classic Spielberg, just the way it was shot and the way that it was uh, put together. And I loved the way they kind of had, you know, Egon be there without actually seeing his face, like concealing it. I thought it made it even better. Like it was just it's so well done. And the rest of the movie is done just as well, where it, it's shocking to me that Jason Reitman said that he would make such a boring Ghostbusters movie. Yet he made an extremely exciting, engaging, you know, super entertaining movie that not only gives you those original characters, that gives you those callbacks to the original movies, but also introduces you to like great new characters. I was stunned that I liked the new characters in this movie. McKenna Grace is a superstar. She's unbelievably good in the movie. Like if no other Ghostbuster showed up and it was just her, I would have been totally fine with that. Like she carried the movie effortlessly. And I was shocked that I liked the side characters like Finn Wolfhard. I was ready to hate his character. Like as soon as he showed up, I was like, all right, what are you going to be like the broody, angsty teenager that rebels? How original? Like, like are, are we are we going down that route? But then he ended up being like endearing and cool in his own way. And then same thing with podcast. I'm like, oh, is this going to be like one of those like one note annoying kid characters that I'm just going to loathe within 10 minutes? No, he's freaking fantastic. And I loved every interaction he had with McKenna Grace's character. And of course, Paul Rudd is just a national treasure. So it's always great seeing him. And <laughs> even I, like, even the way he's walking down the aisle in Walmart. I'm like, oh, my God. Yes. Of this walk is cracking me up. I'm like, this guy, <laughs> stop it, Paul Rudd. <laughs> no, I'm glad you brought that up because like we were watching it and like the whole theater was just cracking up with him just walking in the supermarket i'm like leave it to paul rudd to get laughs just by walking around a damn supermarket <laughs> because, because we've all been there after a really yeah. great day and then all of a sudden you know what you're gonna go get some ice cream you're gonna yeah <laughs> oh it was, it was so funny and like i thought it was really cool and this is a spoiler alert right here that like uh when they brought back uh gozer right is gozer right that's yeah. the yeah, yeah. the fact that it was fucking olivia wilde yep <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, like i had to do a double take i was like is well, it? and J.K. Is Simmons it? ran. Yeah, yeah. I was like, what the hell? Yeah, I was like, well, that must have been the most you know, easy paycheck ever. Yeah. J.K. had J.K. had worked with Jason Reitman before in Juno and, st and stuff. So I'm sure that was just like a phone call yeah. of a friend. But yeah. I had no idea Olivia was in the movie. And when I saw her, I was like, that's Olivia Wilde. Yeah. What? And I was like, that's great. That's she, she's perfect.
and, and awesome. And, and what's called and like who who better to take over that role now? And then also on top of that, how did it not leak? Like right, that was impressive. Yeah. With all these leaks happening with every single movie these days, it shocks me that no one, no one, no one called out that it was like, oh, Olivia Wilde is playing Gozer in the next Ghostbusters. Because I think the fan base would have absolutely loved it, and it wouldn't have spoiled anything. Or, but it was still a nice surprise to see it right in the flesh in theaters. So yeah, it's it, that that was a that was a that was a great surprise. <laughs> And I love the fact that this movie had like the reverse Spider-Man No Way Home where it's like Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd and like Ernie Hudson all like went on talk shows like, yeah, we're in the movie. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, like, yeah, we're in it. Yeah. So, uh. Yeah, You're go not see gonna it. get Bill, Bill Murray to sign an NDA and shut up about things. It's no, it was, no, it was just so. Like, oh, I just thought no. it was so refreshing. It's like, yeah, it's like, yeah, we're in the movie, and then he even said like Sigourney Weaver's back. I was like, okay, well, if they yeah. don't give a fuck, I was like, yeah. all right. <laughs> they're, they're, they're themselves the executive producers on the movie, so they can dictate whatever they want to say or not yeah. say. Yeah, I like I just, that though. I like that it's just like we're in it. This is what's happening. You're still gonna like it. It's not like a huge thing where you need to mm-hmm. not know that we're in it, and it needs to be a surprise. It's like no, it's not a surprise, and you're still gonna love it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh my god. But but real quick, but um, real quick before we go on, if you want to know uh, a little tidbit that Jason Jason Reitman just revealed like a couple of days ago, actually, um, talking about bringing people back into the fold. Um, you know who played uh, Harold Ramis's body double for all the scenes with Egon? No, I wanted to know actually because he he looked like him. No, well, well the thing was they used a, a CG a CG face for mm-hmm. him. Even on the in the opening scene. Yep, even oh, in the opening scene, it was it was all a CG face. Mm-hmm. But um, the guy who apparently was the body double for Harold Ramis was Ivan Reitman. Oh, oh wow! That I was makes wondering that. that. Yeah, that's like, a lot of sense. One of them. I, you know, t- to that point, like you know, putting aside the discussion of the ethics of bringing a, 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 you know, dead actor back to life for a movie, I think in terms of all of the times that we've seen that happen in the last five to ten years, this might be the most successful of that. In in that mm-hmm. it looks legit, and y- you probably have to think that in the the last act. And full on spoilers, obviously, we were well into that, like yeah. ghostly, the ghostly glow effect that he has going on mm-hmm. probably does something to trick our mind's eye and not mm-hmm. see the uncanny valley that it could have. Like, yeah. if you look at Rogue One and you look at what they did there, like yeah. that, that is OK, mm-hmm. but you could still tell somewhere in the recesses of your mind that that's a CG creation. Yeah. I never felt that here. He felt like a real ghost so to speak. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And so I thought it was really, really well done. Um, even in the opening scene, the way it was shot, like there was never any close ups on his face. There was always something obscuring him. It was, there was always shadow or it was shot a little mm-hmm. bit from the side. It was just really tastefully done. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like because all of his friends were in it, like when the movie's not even quite over yet and for Harold appears on the screen, I was like, well, God. Uh, yeah man <laughs> tissues please bring me all the tissues yeah, yeah. and like well, and i think I that's think... saying something because like we weren't emotionally attached to that original movie and yet when that moment happened i was like am i tearing up like yeah. am i getting chills right now and i was like well it, you know if anything i was emotionally attached to harold because i love groundhog day and, and he, mm-hmm. even apart from ghostbusters he was yeah. a major influence on on some of the films i loved growing up so yeah yeah and I love that they, I think it's adorable that they uh, they made him look 
older, but to what he was in the Ghostbusters movies, because that's mm-hmm. not how Harold Ramis looked like when he passed away. <laughs> he was yeah. a little bit like a little squishy. He looked adorable. But I thought that mm-hmm. was interesting that they did it like make him look how he looked in real life, which I think was smart. And then also, mm-hmm. uh, I love that they didn't use his voice. I think that would have been yeah. a big mistake to try and like put in his voice from like old recordings or anything like that. I I very much appreciate that they didn't even attempt that because I think that would have ruined it. Yeah, I really like. Because- I really th- yeah, I really think it was like extremely tastefully done. Like honestly, in terms of like using a actor's likeness who's passed on and you know doing like a cg replacement in my opinion this is the best one i've seen Mm -hmm. and obviously you know having that ghostly effect definitely helps kind of hide maybe some of that uncanny valiness but just the not using the voice you know using it sparingly you know using the face sparingly just for those like pivotal emotional moments like it felt well thought out unlike it has in the past with like similar situations like it really felt like they wanted to maximize the emotional impact of when you did see his face and like keeping him silent, especially like as his friends are all saying, like apologizing for this or doing that, like it all hit so much harder just because like you see the smile and like you don't hear the voice. And it was just kind of like a like a nod of like, thank you for saying those. Things. Like it's just those little things really made it work for me. And the fact that they were able to pull that off and also get someone who wasn't like hugely attached to that character to make me feel extremely attached in that moment. I thought it was incredible. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. And the thing is, is that the difference between what this film did and what other films have tried to do in the past, I mean, it's, it's the big elephant in the room. Let's just, let's just say it, but it's, you know, I mean, God, God arrest her soul, Carrie Fisher. But when she appeared at the end of um, when she appeared in the rise of Skywalker, it, 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 it felt like they were trying to, to make her fit into the movie where, mm-hmm. and whereas with this film, it truly felt like it truly felt like Harold's friend saying goodbye and letting us as the audience say goodbye to this character that we've, even if we didn't care enough about him when, when we were kids, we had some type of attachment because we had seen that movie previously. It allowed us to say goodbye to Egon from, from Ghostbusters in general. And it felt like, Mm -hmm. it felt like, it felt like a, a, it felt like a cathartic exit for everybody involved. Whereas as opposed to trying to fit a character into a frame where you use all previous footage, it's just like, no, this is just basically just them trying to say goodbye to their friend and that's it. And that was made so evident by what Jason Reitman did. And as you guys have been saying, where it's like, you know, he doesn't have the lines of dialogue. He only appears in the beginning and he only appears at the end and that's it. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, really yeah, go for it. Oh, no, no I was just going to say really quick. I don't know because uh, Tom and Max, since you said you weren't huge fans of the originals, but Andres, did you have the Proton Packs? I did not have the Proton Packs. Ah. See, me, see, me and my brothers, we had like the Proton Packs. We had the Trap. We had the Ghostbuster <laughs> House. We had oh, so you guys are all Slimer. Yeah. I, I, had, I, um, see, I, I did have Slimer, though. I did have yeah. Slimer. We had the little toy Slimer. We had all the little toys. And then we they actually made this... Um, it was like a, it was the flashlight. It was a flashlight, but it was supposed to be like the proton pack part of it. And it had those old school um, slides in it. You know, those little things you used to like oh, push down and have the slides. Yeah, yeah. It had that. that, but it was like a ghost would project on the wall. So you could like 
pretend play like that. So oh, that's uh, cool. I'm that again, this movie brings back so much nostalgia for me. I used to love playing with all those toys when I was younger. We had we had all the bit. Oh, we had the car, everything. <laughs> so, wow. Okay. I didn't know you were such a huge Ghostbusters fan. I'm wearing more Loved and more. It. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it's, it's rare though, that we have like a sequel that is, you know, being released so many years after those original two movies that happen to actually not only be good, but like just absolutely great, which leads us into the final segment of our show here where we're each going to pick a sequel that we think, you know, that a sequel that, you know, was released years and years after, you know, the previous installment that we actually think is good or that we think is absolutely great. So we're going to give you our picks for what we think is the best one in our minds. So without further ado, Andres, why don't you kick us off here? Ooh, oh my goodness. You're going to really put me on the spot right here. Am I though? Yeah, you, are. you had time to though? think about this sir. am i though <laughs> you know you know you know what my initial gut instinct is to go to t2 but i'm gonna pick something a little different and you know what i'm just gonna throw this out there uh, mad max fury fucking road yeah, yeah. noise 35 like almost almost 20 years after the original at least and that that film I argue, I'm 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 gonna argue on this. Uh, Fury Road probably might be the best of the best, and it took everything of what made those original couple films so great. Mm-hmm. And you know, we didn't we, we didn't get back Mel Gibson, and of course, you know, with a whole bunch of other stuff that's happened and stuff like that. But we're good. Fury Fury Road just delivered so much good and so much different in an action film that I've never seen before in mm-hmm. terms of just the plot is not necessarily that that dense but it's it's a for lack of a better word it's an experience to see that movie I mean probably still one to this day one of my favorite movie going experiences is seeing Fury Road in a theater um, called 40x back when it didn't necessarily break your bones <laughs> but it, it basically all it did was it just shook up the seats and it also just had the uh, the aromas all throughout all throughout the theater, so you would smell the environment and all that stuff. It mm-hmm. was really an immersive experience, and just seeing that coupled with oh my god, tip to the cap to to freaking George Miller for casting the great Charlize Theron in this. But mm-hmm. wow, I absolutely love Furiosa as a character, and like she like like she like she for me during that first screening of the movie, I just automatically knew, yep. She's climbed the upper echelon with all the other greats like freaking Sigourney Weaver, Linda Hamilton. And yeah, she's absolutely up there. So, yeah, no, uh, Fury Road absolutely for me is one of those rare sequels that can come decades later and still show that George Miller still fucking has it. So, yeah, that that's personally going to be my pick. I, like I love that pick. So, so good. Maxwell, how about you? OK, so there's a couple I was debating between and I decided I wanted to go for something less obvious that I didn't think anyone else okay. was going to pick. And that's train spotting too. Oh, okay. um, this is a movie that I think is actually a really, really beautiful, emotional return to these characters. You know, in the original movie, they're basically kids. They're not kids, but they're in their twenties. They, they, they're all sorts of messed up. Um, and this comes to them in basically younger middle age and the weight of, of everything that they have lived through and have, have healed from is there. Um, 
you know, Ewan McGregor and Robert Carlyle and Johnny Lee Miller give amazing performances. And it's not quite as like visceral and kinetic as the original. And I think that's smart. Even the the filmmaking, even Danny Boyle's filmmaking is more mature and a little softer. It's still a thrilling movie. It still has trauma. It still has drugs. But I think it's such a smart approach. It's something you would never expect to see a sequel to. Like if you had said after watching Train Spotting in 1996, yeah, in like 20 years they're going to make a, a sequel to this, people would be like, no. Um, and and that's partly why I think think it's so smart. It's like the the one of the most unexpected sequels, and I think it's so successful because of that and because of the more thoughtful approach to it. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like, I freaking love the first Train Spotting, and I remember uh, I actually discovered Train Spotting when I started um, watching all my indie movies way back when the day, and I had heard around the time that 28 Days Later was coming out that uh, Danny Boy was like, yeah, we're playing a sequel to Train Spotting. The only thing is we're waiting for all these actors to look older. And they and, and, and the thing that and the thing that we hate about actors is that actors, they take care of themselves. They go to bed early. They moisturize. They do all these things to keep themselves <laughs> looking young. And yet we're stuck waiting for them to look older. And that, that, that was, mm-hmm. that was kind of the big weight with train spotting too. And yeah, it was, it, it just, it's just so funny because the book takes place 10 years later and they had to wait 20 years in order for these characters to look older. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, oh, wow. even today, and now we're like many years removed from the sequel, Ewan McGregor still looks incredible. Yeah, bro. It's age. ridiculous. Age. It's ridiculous. Like him, Paul Rudd. It's like, I don't know what like deal they made with Satan or what pool of youth that they're drinking from, but I'm angry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. oh my God. What Nancy, how about you though? Like what's your pick? Uh I am gonna go with Toy Story Three. Ooh, so, nice choice. Obviously, mm. that has a little bit of an advantage in terms of like actors, you know, unlike you know train spotting or anything like that you don't have to worry about if the actors look older or anything like that because obviously they're just lending their voices um mm. but i think when it originally came out my first thought was do we need a toy story three because it's been so long and you know i don't know where they could take the story at this point i thought it was going to be just very repetitive um but i think they did such a good job with the story and the fact that they brought the original andy to do his voice and it's the same kid. And that's just how long it's been that he actually is of college age at this point, Toy Story 3 was coming out. I thought that was so special um, and awesome for them to do that. And the ending of Toy Story 3 was so nostalgic and it like brought a little tear to my eye. Cause it's, you know, he's like giving away his toys and it's like, he's moving on from his childhood and he's going off to college and all these things. And I thought it was, they just handled it you know, in such a great way. And honestly, Toy Story 4 is great, but I like Toy Story 3 better. No, I, yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. I think the cool part about Toy Story 3 or just really the, the Toy Story franchise is like, depending on how old you are, it's like, I was in the generation where it's like, every movie hit at the perfect time where it's like the first movie came out we were kids playing with toys having that childlike sense of wonder when toy story 2 came out like we were a little bit older like we were aging with andy it was like the coolest thing ever so when the third movie came out and he was going off to college i was about to go off to college and like everyone who had like grown up with the movies and that was like around my age was like the same thing and i remember 
it was one of the best theater experiences of my life because when it gets to that trash compactor scene, I mean, the whole movie is like way more visceral than you really think it's going to be. Yeah. But when it gets to that scene, literally, I'm looking down the aisles and everyone's holding hands, like legitimately like holding hands in the theater. Like pe people are like, they better not fucking kill Woody. I swear. Yeah. To God. <laughs> and there is and a I'm moment like, where you think they're yeah. going to do it. <laughs> Because like Pixar, like they're not afraid to go to some darker territory. And there, there was a moment there. I was like, are they going to like just straight up like kill them in this movie? Like, are we gonna, <laughs> are we going to do this? And yeah. like so like everyone's like holding hands. People are crying. And luckily, obviously, we know how that scene played out. And then the whole ending scene, people are just like puddles of tears. So like talk yeah. about a sequel that's just done right all those years later where it hit at the perfect time. Oh, yeah. All great choices from you guys. For me, like. I will say, Andres, you definitely picked one of the ones I had. So I was like, all right, glad he said that off the bat because I don't want to just repeat what you did. Um, but mine is Before Midnight. It's uh, from R Richard Linklater, his Before series, where he, he, was... he would make a sequel, I think, every like nine or ten <clears throat> years, something like that. Nine, um, yeah. And Before Sunset's great, but Before Midnight's like in a league of its own. It's unbelievably good like you're watching this couple that you know got together in the second movie and then the, now you're seeing them finally together but like in a real rough spot in their marriage where they're being so brutally honest with each other having hard hard conversations even though they're still loved there and it's just such a mature well done sequel that like you needed that like nine ten year gap to believe this change in the characters to believe all these things to see them kind of look and feel a little bit more weathered and i just felt like the passage of time did it so much justice and it hit perfectly because it really felt like the you know the maturation of that relationship and watching them fight was like heartbreaking because you saw them like fall in love in those first two movies and then now you're watching them fight and bicker and scream at each other and it's it's a hard movie to watch sometimes but it's so rewarding because it just shows you when you really love somebody you're willing to have those really hard conversations. You're willing to fight. You're willing to scream. Yeah. You're willing to basically tell them you hate them. But ultimately, there's so much love there that you end up coming back to one another. And it's like a beautiful, in my opinion, I, I kind of hope they don't make another before movie because it just feels like such a perfect trilogy of three you know points in time that I feel like it just tells a really great, complete, realistic love story. That's what I loved about those movies is that it felt like a real love story. It didn't feel like a Hollywood kind of romance, which I loved. Yeah. So I, I mean, in terms I'm, of just a sequel, loved it. I'm really glad you mentioned that because when I was given this assignment, uh, the before movies were definitely on my short list and I just couldn't decide which one to choose. Yeah. Um, so I'm glad I'm glad they got brought up because the before trilogy, you know, as a trilogy is one of my favorite cinema things there is. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm of, of mixed mind if I want another one, but if they are to do another one, it would come out in 2022 if they stick with the nine years. I know Julie mm -hmm. Delpy said no, but maybe they're just tricking us and it's already been who knows Richard Linklater is yeah, crazy so maybe they already guy. filmed it or they're gonna they're gonna film it um I see both sides like keeping it as a trilogy is kind of perfect but also you know there's something magical about every, even every nine years as long as they're still alive and kicking it to keep going back to it but yeah I love 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 those movies well also, I mean Linklater yeah. is one of those people that I mean come on I mean he spent 16 years shooting a movie with a kid mm. he had no idea was was even going to be capable of acting or delivering a and, performance and now he's spending like 20 or 30 years shooting yeah. a, a merrily we roll along movie oh yeah 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 i think i saw someone doing the, the, the other the day where they're the like three segments every like 10 years <laughs> Yeah, they're just like, can't wait to see it in 2040. <laughs> and I was like, oh my god! Like, I mean, wasn't, just what, the wasn't there? What wasn't there a director that literally just signed a contract that that uh, 
that this film that that he made a film that would not be released until like 2000 and like like 2100 or something like that or some weird future date oh no i haven't heard about that oh i don't know but yeah like someone, that that's such patience such like yeah. i could never do that yeah, yeah just I, like i don't know like that's why I, I was thinking about when they were doing boyhood i was like you're, yeah. you're coming together like every year to shoot some new stuff and you're wondering it's like is this really going to come together like is this going to be good like you know is this going to actually like feel natural and then you watch the movie and you're like holy shit like i know so many people think it's overrated or they didn't like it but for me again because i related to this character growing up because like the way he grew up all the things he had access to all the movies he was into mm -hmm. the technology he had i had so it literally felt like watching myself grow up so that's why i loved it oh yeah no absolutely like like th there is something to sort of seeing um sort of seeing the kid talk about oh hey dark knight is my favorite movie but also i really love tropic thunder it's like oh, yeah. yeah i remember i remember being i remember what i was doing way back when i mean like even to a certain even to a even lesser extent and knocked up when when uh when some of the characters are just like, uh, the guys, uh, we, we, we have to, we have to go. We're going to go see Spider-Man three in like five minutes. And I remember yeah. being in that theater being like, Oh yeah, Spider-Man three just came out like last week. All right. So they, yep. it was like, it's, it's a nice little spot in time. And that's why I kind of feel boyhood was. And just even with any link ladder film in general, I mean, like, I mean, still to this day, I mean, like I can remember where I was when I first saw Scanner Darkly for the first time, or even the, the, the before uh, trilogy as well. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. He, he's one of those rare directors that he can elicit so much emotion just from a small little detail in terms of where you were in time or where you were emotionally or where you were even in a relationship. Like he's, he's, he's still to say, like, I think one of the most, um, not necessarily underrated, but underappreciated directors that we have today for sure. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think all these choices are fantastic. I'm glad we brought them up. Please watch these movies if you haven't. They're the rare sequels taking place years later that are actually good. I'm just curious, just like throw it out there. What do you think is the worst one? Because there's so many bad ones that have come out years and years after them. Like, yeah. put me on the spot a little bit, but I feel like some should definitely jump to your mind. Like Dumb and Dumber 2. Nice choice. Oh, Solid man. choice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Son of the Mask. Oh, God. Ooh. Oh, I think he won the prize there. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Unless, I just do you like that movie? No, no. Oh, I didn't know if, if you, you were like that like, movie. Ooh. We need to like, negotiate your contract. There's <laughs> <laughs> a contract, but I, I love the fact that you guys have both mentioned Jim Carrey movies. <laughs> and I'm, yeah, I'm it's rough. Like, what 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 other Jim Carrey movie did they do a sequel for years later down the line? Because that's that's just always been the thing is that like they always try to do sequels of Jim Carrey movies without Jim Carrey coming back. There or... there is like a, a little Ace Ventura movie with a kid, and that I've like I don't know if it's Amazon Prime or HBO Max or something. I I'll scan through and I see this poster, and just the poster makes me cringe. I'm like, nope, 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 yeah, nope. Yeah, I think it wasn't like Ace Ventura Junior or some shit like that. Oh, like, Junior, the little kid holding the card i was like no fucking thanks <laughs> i was like no way i'm watching this movie oh my god i'm trying to think i feel like you guys took mine now i'm trying to think of it oh independence day oh my god oh yeah you guys you guys want to hear a funny story about um independence day too go for it all right i'm probably gonna get in trouble by saying this one but i don't give a shit this is gonna be funny um <laughs> so, so i i just goes missing we know why. We, we, yeah, we'll know. 
Yeah. So I had um, I had worked like a a 29 hour day over at work. I pulled an all nighter and I was literally just like, if I go home now, I'm going to if I fall asleep, I'm going to screw up my sleep schedule. And then um, we get these invites. Um, Me and my buddy, Paul, we get these invites uh, to go to a screening over at the Fox lot. And they don't tell you what the title is, but they basically tell you, oh, it's an upcoming blockbuster and stuff like that. And then me and him, we're both just kind of sitting there in line just going, man, I hope it's Independence Day. I hope it's Independence Day, too, because that trailer, you know, say what you will about about that film. The trailer was absolutely fantastic, I thought. It was absolutely Mm. fantastic in bringing that nostalgia back and all the other stuff. And then as soon as I sat down in the theater, um, I was like really hyped up for the first 45 minutes or so. And then... At 45 minutes after the alien craft crashes on the earth and then you kind of go, oh, where, where the fuck is this movie going? Mm-hmm. Knocked right out. <laughs> and It's going nowhere. That's where it's going. It, it, yeah. went, it, went, it went nowhere. And then what ended up happening is certain people in my life can attest. I snore. Oh no! <laughs> and, and so I and so I started and then, and then so literally I'm in the theater and then all of a sudden Paul tells it that he just heard a <laughs> from my end and all I just and then all I just feel is just a freaking arm just like bashing on my arm and then I'm like what what the, the hell oh sorry sorry oh, okay I, I, I oh my god <laughs> so I literally and then, so I'm literally looking at the screen and then I'm literally just kind of looking to my left and to my right and just kind of be like oh man I hope I didn't interrupt anybody or anything like that just kind of gauging what happened right um guess who's over to my left directly to my left oh no yeah oh god rolling Roll right. Eric? oh no, no. Oh, because we, because we were sat all the way in the back of the theater so that was a prime spot for him to be there and unfortunately yeah yeah if Roland Emmerich is ever watching this I'm sorry man it was not necessarily that the movie was boring at that point but I just worked a 29 hour day and did he yeah. get the there I was like this son of a bitch damn yeah, yeah. Listen, I think you falling asleep and storing was a better experience than actually watching the movie. So yeah, if, so Ro- if Roland Emmerich is listening, I don't care that he knows he made a terrible movie. <laughs> but, 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 the, but the hilarious thing is I went to go see, I went to go see it finalized because I was like, all right, you know what? I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go put my money down for this. I'm gonna go support it because you know I freaking did a horrible job when testing it and all that other stuff. Right. And literally 45 minute point, I was knocked out again. Oh my god. <laughs> That's well, now incredible. you know what movie to put on if you need to sleep. Yeah, I know. Now you got like your your sleep tape. <laughs> I know, but, but, but do I but do I want to own that? <laughs> oh my god! No, I like I had a similar story where like I was dealing with someone who was snoring, and it was and unfortunately it was one of my friends. We saw. Do you guys remember the movie Broken City with like I think Mark Wahlberg and like yeah. Russell Crowe? I think mm-hmm. it was like this movie from I don't know five ten years ago. Awful movie, but like in the middle of the movie, he starts falling asleep and he's snoring like unbelievably loud and the whole theater is getting like angry and I'm already angry that I'm wasting my time watching a shitty movie I've kind of like already checked out of the movie and I'm like how what can I do because we're all like you know tapping his shoulder we're you know like shaking him like hey dude like wake up and he just wouldn't wake up so I was like all right Hail Mary I had like an empty monster can because that's what cool kids drank back in the day (laughs) 
<laughs> was doing monster. So I was like, what I'm going to do, I'm going to take this can, I'm going to throw it at him. And if he doesn't wake up, then there's nothing we can do. And I just remember he was like middle of snoring. I threw it, it was like a direct hit, hit him right in the face. And he just, <laughs> and you literally just saw him just like, Wah! like he literally just like, like launched out of his seat and everyone just starts laughing. I got some claps from the back because like the snoring stopped. <laughs> but, but I was like, you know what? I think I did a service here. <laughs> We all did That's services amazing. to people who were who were either snoring in the theater or people who just decided to just start snoring in the theater. But yeah, exactly. Uh, oh my god! But guys, thank you for for joining us yet again for another new episode of Film on Top. Maxwell, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was a pleasure having you. Hope you had a good me. time. Yeah, I mean, it was a I pleasure did. having you, man. You are welcome back anytime. Nancy Thank Andres, you. always a pleasure, always a pleasure. But Maxwell, where can people find you uh, online on the social medias? Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Cinemaxwell, Instagram Cinemaxwell Inc. I have a, uh, if you go to my Twitter, I have a link tree that has links to everything else. I have a blog. Um, I am a frequent host on the Off the Rails Network, which was formerly the PJ Campbell Network. We've slowed down our content a little bit but we are planning to ramp it up. I am also an executive producer behind the scenes at the Let's Get Ready to Talk Schmodown Network. Uh, I hang out over at Video Drew's channel as a moderator. Um, as you mentioned, I compete in the FCL and starting in January, uh, my best friend Amber Coates and I are launching our own YouTube channel called Ember Productions, where we'll be doing all sorts of silly stuff and movie reviews and fun. So, you know, I don't really do much of anything. Yeah, I was about to say, it's like, what don't you do? <laughs> oh, my God. Awesome. I'm glad that people can find you in a wide variety of places. Uh, Andres, where can people find you online? Remind the people. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram as Galagos. You can also find me on Twitch as Galagos209. You can also find me and my buddy Steve Cravens doing uh, video reviews for retrospective movies. We're currently in the middle of shooting our last duel review so keep an eye out for that because i think mm -hmm. that is you know what say what you will about ridley scott and whatever he has to say about the millennials with their cell phones about why it bombed it, it, it truly was it truly was a good movie and we're kind of making this review in order to um bring more attention to it um you know come later on down the line when it's available on on vod but um uh, in, in on the 30th on tuesday or this upcoming tuesday it is Oh, oh yeah, yeah. On Tuesday, it's available on video. Which, I, which I actually, I, I actually just looked at it because I was like, I, I'm sad I missed it. When can I, can I watch it? And I'm like Tuesday, mm -hmm. perfect. Oh, so see, there you go. But personally, for me, it's my favorite film that I've seen this year so far. So, oh wow, um, I absolutely hands down, um, hands down, I, I, I absolutely recommend it. But we're going to be doing a review for that very soon. It's going to be up on the High Voltage Media channel. We've also got our Star Wars episode three. Um, episode coming out really soon uh, for all of us that just love um, uh, our Thanksgiving football, you know, our Thanksgiving football or our football Sundays. We just did our uh, Any Given Sunday review, which I've been uh, throwing that out quite a bit. And speaking of things I've collaborated with, Nancy and I have also done a certain video, which I will allow her to uh, toss out and um, uh, give a shout outs for. So Nancy, why don't you take over? <laughs> hey, uh, well, first you can find me at PL underscore Band-Aid on Instagram and Twitter. And you will find me uh, doing a show with Andres that we are randomly calling Girl and the Ghost presents Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. So it's reviewing <laughs> the show Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Uh, the whole series, our first episode is over season one. 
And then you will find us over on, that will be on the J-Wade network. So go ahead and check that out. And then we'll be doing- I love that show so much. Oh, it's- it's um, West Covina. I'm obsessed with it. <laughs> um, so Ra- Rachel Bloom is a national treasure. Oh, she's she's oh. amazing. Uh, if you don't have her books, you read her, but it's a little- Yes, it's, it's so good. It's a little, it's formatted differently, but I love all the stories in it. So definitely check that out. But that will be on the J-Wade network hopefully soon. Uh, I, I'm trying to look it up. I think it's the Jcast network specifically. Um, and then of course you can find me on some video chronic quizzes every now and again, where I will lose to Andres <laughs> at a Spider-Man uh, <laughs> quiz. I did pretty good though. I did you, did, you, you did pretty, you did really, really well. I'm just, I'm just a freaking nerd that has watched that movie so many times. I, I wanted to play in that quiz, but I was busy that night. I was like, oh, God, well, I guess someone else can win if I can't win there. <laughs> There's so many people on that quiz. I'm glad it was you, Andres. Thanks, man. <laughs> that does it for me. Awesome. And if you guys want to find me on Twitter and Instagram, it's at Tom Chattelbash. And on Facebook, it is Chattelbash Reviews. And, of course, you can find me here on this channel where I do uh, movie reviews and TV reviews, fun stuff like that. And, of course, the Film on Tap podcast. So thank you for joining us for another new episode. We hope you had a great time watching. We had a great time making it. And we will see you for the next episode of Film on Tap, where we've got the tap that never runs out. Have an amazing one, guys. We will see you very, very soon. Bye. Cheers.